0: what is up you beautiful people welcome back it is lovely to have you uh it's time for another episode of the built on bitcoin podcast we're covering everything going on in the stacks ecosystem and this is my second conversation with a stacks og zan ditkoff he is the founder of demon technologies uh at this moment he is in the future Because he lives in Hong Kong, he's always a day ahead. Which still, just I hear that and it kind of makes my brain hurt. It's kind of cool to think about. But yeah, the last conversation, if you haven't heard of it, I recommend it. But it went so well that we decided that we should do a second one. Because there's so much more to cover. We're also doing weekly Twitter spaces on Monday at 4pm PST. Uh, You know, if you want to pop in, there's kind of like community calls where we just riff on whatever happened that week or whatever interests us. And yeah, check it out. Stat- Zan is a wizard of Stacks knowledge, so I recommend checking those out. But this episode, we talk about City Coins. We talk about their new uh, OnStacks platform, which is at OnStacks.com which is going to be a front-end a data visualization, but also an API back-end for developers to pull data into their dApps. So, yeah, great conversation. We covered a lot. It's always good talking with Zan. So let me shut up and get in this conversation with founder of Demon Technologies, Zan Ditkoff. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin.
1: I was gonna say let's let's not lose any potential gems before exactly we, exactly we,
0: yeah and this time i'm just gonna i'm gonna do it zan style i don't have a ton prepped i didn't do a whole cool. lot uh we're just gonna like see what the hell Man, happens out of this magic
1: it's like i got a lot we can get into um and i like the idea i mean if you're down for it for doing like a twitter space once a week or something and yeah it can be as short as 10 minutes can be as long as however long we both have but yeah
0: I mean, as long as we keep the people engaged and I always get like nervous on the front end that I'm going to lose things to talk about. And then I'm always like, what am I, I I guess I'm just so new that I haven't, my training wheels are still on,
1: but no, I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's that. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at least self-aware enough to know that for better or for worse, like I, I got a lot of rabbit holes I can go down (laughs) and (laughs) I can fucking talk. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> for better or for worse, I don't think that's the problem. We may have some other problems. I don't think that's a problem. Yeah, we'll have, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, well, you said you might have some things that you want to go but, down. What's been on top of your mind lately? Oh,
1: well, I mean, today, we I think we got to celebrate or, or celebrate soon. I, I need to look at the Explorer and see what block we're at. But, uh,
0: for, for
1: 2.05? Yeah, happy think, 2.05 day.
0: I think we have like six hours as of right now.
1: Okay, so I thought we had a few hours left. But uh that'll be today for me. So it's it's uh Tuesday morning here in uh in Hong Kong. I can't really turn my computer, but the today kind of looks like the background. So it's a nice fall falls really nice here. But yeah, so ha- happy happy 2.05 day. Yeah, um, that's big. exciting. I mean, this was like uh, for a non like breaking change to the protocol. This was like about as big of an upgrade as I think it gets. And like,
0: since mainnet, this is the biggest thing since mainnet that's kind of happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Probably in terms of the core protocol and just in general, I think for kind of non hard fork breaking changes, this is about as big of an upgrade as you can kind of get. And how does 2.1 relate in that? So two two 2.1 is, um, all right, so 2.05 for those that don't know, and you know, there's definitely some technical experts that can actually give people the, the exact underpinnings of the specifics that are, are changing. But the high-level recap basically is it changes the limits in terms of the blocks that miners mine a little bit so it can include more data and it also greatly increases the accuracy of cost estimation for running contracts you know the original way that the network did it, it took a very conservative approach which i think is appropriate for you know the early early days of a brand new layer 1 where you know to use your your exercise analogy you had on twitter you know you if you're going to go run a marathon You'd rather run a little slower pace wise per mile than you think you can to make sure you can finish the race Mm -hmm. versus going out at a six minute mile and then, you know, blowing up halfway through. So similar similar kind of logic here, you know, the protocol would overestimate the uh, cost of running computation and as a result people would overpay computation could take a lot longer and in some cases this was like an by an order of magnitude of, of like 10 times so qu- quite a bit and quite inefficient this makes the estimate quite a bit more dynamic and and a ton more accurate this is going to be really helpful for DApps like Arcadeco running on the network, like StackSwap. it's also going to be uh, changing the economics for miners a little bit. And you know, we'll we'll demon we'll look back at this data and kind of see see what we think. But um, you know, miners should have the opportunity to be a little more profitable, just because there's kind of more that they can process per block. But it also does increase the, I mean it doesn't it, it's not super relevant for any miner but it's worth mentioning it does increase the computational power needed to mine just slightly um but before anyone gets worried what what i mean by that is it makes it it it, it moves the kind of barrier from being able to mine on a raspberry pi to you know you probably need a standard laptop to mine now so it doesn't really, you know, uh, negate any of the narrative around, you know, ease of mining. But uh, yeah, so that that's kind of the 2.05 upgrade. It's going to be meaningful for the network and it, it is, you know, some big changes. But it's really just kind of tweaking how the network estimates cost and just kind of the size limit of blocks. 2.1 is, I mean, God, I, I don't even know if I have a if i remember the full list of kind of changes that that's pushing but i'll you know from my perspective some of the most important ones and and the changes that myself and team are waiting for um for some of the projects we want to do and we can we can definitely get into that as well is um there's a lot of changes to clarity a lot and I'm not the best person to go into kind of the technical underpinnings of the exact changes, but, but I can kind of go into the high level of what they're going to enable for us and, and for others. Um, you should definitely have Marvin or someone similar on to kind of talk, talk in depth about Clarity pre-2.1 and then kind of Clarity post-2.1. But one of the biggest differences is Clarity will have a lot more ability to do things with Bitcoin and Bitcoin state. That's really, really meaningful right now, you know, clarity can kind of be triggered by some things on the Bitcoin state, but it can't actually control any kind of Bitcoin or uh, be be kind of triggered for more complex things. So a good example of this that like we're waiting for 2.1 to see if we can move forward on is um, this idea of mining pools. So we, you know, people have kind of been talking about this in the community for a while. We've actually had a a number of designs drafted up for mining pools for a while now. Um, And the biggest blocker for us is up until now to create any of them, it's going to be a very custodial setup. You know, if we're operating a mining pool, we're basically going to be taking custody of the pool members Bitcoin and then using it to kind of mine on their behalf. That. One is a pretty trusted setup. You know you can do some things to de-risk that, such as putting up you know a, a large STX bounty that can be slashed if you you know uh, are, are do anything nefarious with with the pool's Bitcoin. but the bigger issue for us is it just brings in a ton of regulation. Um, you know that's pretty a system like that would would be one where we would, potentially need to only offer it to accredited folks for now, and we would maybe even need to get them to sign certain kind of documents. Post 2.1 though, we we should be able to create the same type of system, but where a lot of that flow, a lot of the custody of the Bitcoin is actually governed by clarity contracts. So getting much more to a world like stacking has with delegation and pooling where that can all be done by kind of signing and sending messages and via smart contracts. Um, so that's one kind of big thing that's being added. There's a lot of other primitives being added to clarity too that are gonna be important for some of the other little side projects we have. I, I haven't really talked about this anywhere because um, it's still super early and, and tentative. Um, so I'm not gonna mention any names, but Demon and some of the other folks in the ecosystem have been in talks with some of the bigger layer one interoperability providers between layer one chains in the past month or two, and we've actually been working on a test net implementation of one of these and exploring a few others. And one of the big things we'll need to actually create a mainnet implementation of this and see if we can uh, we can kind of get get the deal solidified and, and move forward with it are some of these primitive uh, upgrades to Clarity. So there's there's a whole host of other stuff going live with 2.1 as well, but 2.1 is really adding a ton of things that um, aren't in, you know, Clarity I think is probably one of the biggest areas that we're just didn't have time and, and more than didn't have time, you know, I think, took more of a conservative approach launching the network without them with the idea that you know they can kind of be added in later so you know I, the other big difference too is 2.1 I think is a breaking change to the network like it's it's essentially somewhat of a hard fork or a, a soft fork um whereas 2.05 is uh less of a kind of a breaking change but what's been awesome to see with 2.05 is just the level of um I guess uh, the the level of it's not coordination because it's just all different random people in, in the ecosystem, and the community, but how people have kind of come together from all the different things they work on and focus on and, and all the different companies they're at to all dive into the discussion, actually flesh, flesh this out pretty quick, make decisions. Just the way the governance process has gone with it has been really cool to watch um, and makes me, you know really really excited and optimistic for the process of the 2.1 upgrade so
0: yeah it's one of those things where like everyone was on board we all want you know better calculation and whatnot but for some reason it could have gone a different way like we needed consensus from everybody involved uh it just so happened that it went swimmingly yeah yeah but this is this is kind of like the first test of this proper it's, decentralization and exactly. getting everyone on board. Do we, do we have, I think I saw on Twitter one miners not upgraded. Do you know anything about the the ratios of everyone upgraded? I'm sure you guys. So are. I
1: think, I think everyone is upgraded. Um, yeah, this is a little embarrassing. That's actually our miner that Jude was calling out. <laughs> I, I actually, I it's just, a miscommunication, I think we should be good now, but, um, I I thought I was told we had been upgraded like a week ago, um, and I think there was just a miscommunication where we'd upgraded the node, but maybe not the mining software. So anyway, yeah, I always know. appreciate Jude uh, coming <laughs> in on the bullhorn. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah, and, yeah. And yeah I, 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 I think every other miner is upgraded. You know, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I don't I don't know for sure. Just be well. I know for sure because Jude would would be on the bullhorn He's about on, them. Yeah, yeah, well. Yeah. But you know, as kind of a Twitter thread came up yesterday of, of people like kind of wondering who's running miners and how many are run by like former team members of of uh, of the Blockstack PVC core team. And you know, it's interesting because I as I was saying, I don't know actually. I mean, I know one or two of the other miners, but that's it. Um, you know, Demon runs one and I know Xverse runs one. But aside from that, I I don't actually know who the exact miners are. I know, like I've heard one of the miners is kind of a loose pool um, where it's kind of a bunch of partners who are, I think, mostly accredited folks who have kind of loosely joined together to kind of pool their Bitcoin for mining. And other than that, I, I like really don't know. Um, so it's it's nice to see that despite that there's been you know an ability for miners to kind of all come together make decisions and you know upgrade uh, pretty much in unison um so that's yeah
0: it's interesting because i've seen that thread pop a few times where you'll see legacy block stack members go off and do something dope but within stack still and like the two biggest probably more prominent ones are you for mining and then Patrick with city coins. And I think there's like this people get this idea that like you guys are still attached at the hip to the foundation oh or something and there's just oh, yeah. like a pipeline of funds going to city coins and they're almost like Trojan horses that look
1: oh interesting. I
0: think people huh. think that it's like faux decentralization.
1: Yeah, I mean that's fair. The the I, I look, I I get the uh skepticism. I mean, I've been in this space for for a hot minute, and there's there's no lack of faux decentralization. Um but yeah, I mean so I probably speak to Patrick at this point, like once every couple months. I've been following the City Coins thing, but from a distance. To be perfectly honest, I like didn't really follow it that closely at first until um Mayor Suarez like actually accepted the funds. And, that was a uh, big one. Yeah, that was a big one. And then I think it was decently soon after it, the, the committed amount got to over like $20, 20 million or something. Um, and so that that caught my attention. Um, but, you know, it's actually not something I've paid attention to just because it's really not relevant for like where Demon sits and, and both geographically in the world that's probably the main one but also what we kind of focus on at, at least for now that i could very much imagine changing in the future but you know one you know i i'm in hong kong full time um and especially with the pandemic i've basically been here for the past 2 years um you know my team is spread across asia I have a couple engineers in china head of product and design in malaysia front end engineer in egypt and so you know i I think as we've become more aware of the City Coins project, we've become more more and more cheerleaders kind of from a distance on Twitter. But you know, from where we sit in the world for the main thing, it's it's not um, it's not like the most relevant in terms of something that we're looking to work on or, or really facilitate at the moment. Because like I I get the model in the US, but you know i think it's something that if i was working on that like i'd have to be on the ground there and actually like there's a lot of that that has nothing to do with kind of the technical underpinnings and and kind of servicing that i think is much more of the job to be done you know from what i've seen the the back end of the citycoin stuff is not i mean it's the the contracts not super super complex the pox light and you know the one thing i i have talked to patrick about you know very briefly, like, hey, would it be interesting to think about doing a City Coins type thing either for kind of a, a city outside of the U.S.? You know, maybe something that's a little more like a city-state, like Singapore, um, or you know, for kind of a small country. And you know, I think he he really has kind of a, a, a vision there. And for him, I think you know we'll we'll get there one day. And I think maybe when we get there, Demon will help play a little bit bigger of a role in in kind of rolling that out and servicing it. But, you know, for now, um, uh, I think he's smart kind of keeping it to cities in the US. Um, You know, it's a very especially at this point now that we've had kind of the success of Miami coin, you really want to be careful and and kind of slow and calculated with kind of adding new cities and new projects to it. you know and you wanted to kind of go the way i went with new york where there's almost already buy-in from the local government mm-hmm. and populace before that goes live um so you know i i've heard patrick's working with some folks on on rolling out additional cities and in the future but yeah it's not it's not something we've we've been involved with for us you know all of our Capital in terms of Bitcoin-wise that we earn from stacking pretty much goes to mining. I mean, it's a pretty capital-intensive business, um, and the, and as well as just operations. You know, I uh, the nice thing with stacking is it allows me to kind of pay most salaries and just in Bitcoin, which is just so much easier. Um, and on the stacking side, you know, we combo of we have a lot of that locked up. We've committed a lot of it. Um, more to kind of traditional uses in the ecosystem. So like to the accelerator, for instance, um, is kind of a big one that we've committed a bunch of stacks to. And then, you know, the kind of remaining liquidity we have in there, um, we uh, actually put into the dApps themselves. So versus coins, that's like providing liquidity for Arcadeco um, in their vaults. You know, we'll, we'll do the same for Alex when they launch. So yeah, we actually don't hold uh nor have we ever mined any city coins at demon um as of yet you know can that change in the future sure um you know i i am interested to see how nyc coin goes i'm, I'm a native new yorker um mm. so that one kind of hits hits a little close to home but uh yeah for now it's it's you know we're just we're focused on uh deploying capital in the ecosystem just in different ways that is a little bit more aligned with what our operational focus has been so far.
0: Yeah, I think I've been following sequence closely. Actually, Patrick was my first guest. So shout out to Patrick. But um I think I think it's at the stage where you kind of you guys are doing the unsexy stuff of like there's still businesses in every city that don't have a website. And they're not oh. going to use Wix or whatever. They need some random person to walk in their door and sell them a website. And you got to do the, the ugly work of like talking to the person, getting their needs and doing that. I think we need to build primitives on city coins at the ground level that can easily be extracted to every city. But yeah. the, you got to figure out, like, can you slap a sticker on the window like Grubhub? But it could say accept city coins or whatever it is. Yeah. And do that kind that's, of thing.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I, I call that the uh, d- doing things in the Paul Graham school of doing things that don't scale. Mm. Yeah, it's super important. Um, And yeah, you know, it's you're you're hitting on something that I think is is really spot on with the city coins that folks have kind of been asking questions about when they when they look to evaluate it and they're trying to figure out like, you know, do these have value? Will they continue to have value? Why, why not? And I I think I saw a Twitter thread, or not a Twitter thread, it was a a Reddit post from the last few days in, in the stacks subreddit that basically was to the effect of like, you know, someone thought that. As more and more City Coins come online, it's actually going to cannibalize the City Coins that um, you know were earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, as people kind of hop to the newer, hotter thing, and I, I actually I think about it a little differently now that I've like started to to look into City Coins a little more and and kind of think about where they may go in the future. I actually look at it as a great forcing function that gets exactly at what you mentioned, Jake, which is you know. Uh, right now in a lot of ways and you know when Miami coin launched and started growing for instance you know uh, a lot of that is driven by the excitement of the launch the excitement for this you know new type of funding mechanism but when it actually comes to on the ground utility of the token you know it's fairly limited to start um you know right at launch now i think the really nice thing as more and more come online is it actually creates this competitive element around creating and adding utility to that funding mechanism for each city. So, you know, the way I look at it is, yeah, Miami coin won't necessarily be valuable in the future if no one does anything with it and it it just continues to be a token that's mined uh, and just earns, you know, the way that that becomes more valuable, and, and this is true of any kind of network and token and DAP, is you know doing the unsexy work to add utility to that. You know, I, I think a great example we're already seeing with Miami is Mayor Suarez is trying to see if there's a path to actually paying citizens out with a Bitcoin dividend. Like that's a huge piece of utility that Miami would be adding. And it's gonna put pressure on places like New York or anywhere else that is using this type of funding mechanism to be like, well, man, well, we have to do that too. You know, what else can we do? And, And to your point, what is unique about that city and that community that these funds can kind of be directed towards? You know, at the end of the day, CityCoins is a unique funding mechanism. The kind of key is what is that funding directed towards? How is it distributed? And what does that look like over time? That's, I think the kind of green pasture we're getting to in terms of like, you, you, I think you're hundred percent right in terms of what you hit on, you know, w- launching these is exciting. And I think we should, you know, keep focusing on, on strategically launching more and more and more cities to kind of spread the distribution of this funding mechanism but you know even more importantly than that is once once you know a city coin has been launched it really comes down to the unsexy work of doing things that don't scale and like adding utility and, and a big part of that is really just educating people on you know this new resource that they can leverage uh, in ways that in a lot of cases we haven't really even thought of or, or experimented with yet. So that's that's what makes me really excited about the future of city coins. Yes, I'm excited for more cities to launch, but what I'm actually much more excited about is the cities that have already launched, how are they going to accelerate the experimentation of what this kind of funding primitive is used for? What utility are they going to create around that for their citizens? Um, so yeah,
0: yeah. No, I agree. I'm actually pretty excited for when the the protocol matures enough that you get like a random city like Chattanooga or something, and like it doesn't have the cachet and culture to be like, okay, we're going to, we're going to mine New York coin. But if they if they have a good tech hub. And they can actually innovate at the local level. I think you can see at some at some point a city coins project actually attracts tech people to, yeah. to that place because it's 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 a signaling function and they're executing. Yeah, I think that could be dope.
1: Yeah, could be, could be as well as things like uh, partnerships between cities over city coins and things like hmm. that. Yeah, no, it's there's it's, tons of uh, ways.
0: Yeah, I was I was thinking it, too, like. The the Bitcoin yield thing is amazing, but it doesn't get more people to mine, which is the kind of like the that's the thing that feeds the whole system. And so it it's gonna onboard people to crypto and it's gonna give them the best asset they can get, which is BTC. So that's yeah, like, that's that's incredible as far as getting people onto crypto. But I was trying to think of ways like at first I thought we need to get people to mine. How do you do that? Maybe you can have like an automated mining pool. And then it has, like, a proof of mining that is, like, an NFT or a pass or whatever to show that, like, hey, you spent some of your hard-earned money on mining, which is going Mm -hmm. to the wallet. So it's a whatever. But I think you're actually right that it's more of just making the coin more useful in whatever way you do that. And that's going to drive the mining incentive for the people who want to do it.
1: I think it's both. You know, I think you you need to make the barrier to access as low as possible. And you need to you know, that's kind of the supply side and the demand side you need to focus on as well, which is, you know, wha- even if it's super easy to get my hands on this thing, why would I want it? Um, you know, so yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing how, how that evolves. It's been really cool to kind of watch it from a distance because I don't really see anything else in the market like it. Yeah. So it kind of speaks to kind of the unique the unique building block or primitive that is kind of proof of transfer and stacking and kind of the the ability to layer that in really interesting ways
0: yeah uh this, this will probably be a left turn for a second but you mentioned paul graham how do you start to structure your day as far as a maker versus manager schedule do you how do you balance those maker
1: versus
0: manager so his, his idea oh. his, his idea is like managers schedule the day out like minute by minute hour by hour and they always know what they're doing that next day or that next week and makers or creators block out long periods of time for nothing but it's creative time
1: yeah no great great question um it's something i've definitely been getting a little better at and, you know the pandemic i think the pandemic especially in this space can be tough for the tougher for the maker side of things just because you know, I, I think it sucks you into being on call all the time, and it's it's very easy to basically you know not structure your week and then end up with ten hours of meetings and calls a day. Um, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily managing, but you know, it, it's potentially neither, which is I think where you really get in trouble. Um, but you know, where where I've gotten with it, where I I, I think is decent, is um, so one I. I don't keep like a minute by minute schedule. Um, I like a little more flexibility than that, but I do kind of high level structure my days a little bit more around one or the other. Um, And I like to have kind of a a split, you know, at least two days that are a little more maker focused during the week. And then, you know, the other two to three are a little more manager focused. So um, for instance, Mondays, you know, I try, not to have that many calls. Um, it's kind of easier as well to do it on Mondays because the time zone here' we're, we're ahead most of the world. So Monday and you know until Monday evening the rest of the world is kind of still on their Sunday um, so things are a little quieter and, and that I really like you know I, I call that kind of uh, blocks that are um, kind of crossed off for deep work. Um, that can be writing it can be doing a lot of reading and thinking of you know the latest research and just uh, looking into new projects that i haven't looked into before um you know for me creativity is kind of a huge part of this and and the thing i love is the way i see things you know everything's the same kind of that maker mentality that creative side the work we do in the space here is it's it's the exact same as any sort of creative work the details are kind of different but you know i'm a big photographer too and and the creativity there is is no different it's basically trying to stay present and letting your mind basically take a bunch of information that you've consumed or that you've been exposed to um and kind of recombinate it in, in interesting ways that kind of create different aha moments you know that I think can that that is the same process, and and can result in you know an incredible work of art if that's your your kind of focus with it, or it can also result in incredibly innovative and novel um, technical mechanisms like stacking. You know, stacking I think is kind of a good example of you yeah, know that wasn't me; that was. Um, actually the the former um, head of legal for PBC. Like, it's funny, mm-hmm. people think like, you know, oh, an engineer came up with that. But like, no, you know, Jesse, I think it's a perfect example of um, how creativity and creative thinking really is the same across any discipline. And, you know, the work, the process is really the same. The details are different, but no matter what you're doing, it's it's kind of the same. And he, you know, I think, was just doing a lot of deep thinking and and really putting on the maker hat uh, for a long time and came up with stacking as as kind of a unique mechanism that could be added to proof of transfer and you know thought through the game theory pretty deeply. so i I really need that in life period, you know the time to to kind of allow myself to do that, whether it's um, you know, with the stuff Demon's doing in the stacks ecosystem or just you know on the weekends kind of outside of my like strict work focus, you know, whether it's photography or or other things. Um, and then I think that really feeds the my ability to be a better manager and be a better, you know, do some more of the grinding work. So like Tuesdays is a is a call heavier day. We have our on Demon, we have our team call. So it is quite a bit more kind of high-level management, trying to figure out like, are we you know, are we heading in the right direction? Are we making the progress we want to? Are our hypotheses being validated? So, yeah, I kind of split it up like that. And, you know, maybe there's one day that's a little half-half, but even on my pretty strict manager days, you know, I, I make a point to take time out to kind of have that, um, decompression or meditative time like i i meditate daily actually so you know for me even if it's a pretty management heavy day i'll I'll probably take an hour uh my my brain and body kind of tends to go through a little bit of a a slump productivity and energy wise around like 3 30 to 4 30 p.m um it's it's funny it's always been super consistent like with that timing um, so I'll take, I, I will usually take some time then to like meditate a bit or just grab the camera and go through for a walk through the neighborhood, um, you know, and just kind of think about things, but, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I do it. It's, it's worked decently so far, but I, I also think it's, uh, it's a good topic to be very open to experimentation and, and kind of change with, and just kind of go with what you feel is, is feeding you to do the, your, your kind of best work.
0: Yeah, totally. I think it's one of the things too where, uh, especially when you have your own business, it's easy to get consumed by working in the business and not on the business. So you don't take the time to kind of like take the bird's eye view and you're just responding to calls and doing the next thing that well, employee it's, wants.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the classic. Um, it's really easy to be busy and busy is, is in no way necessarily productive. hundred percent. Yeah. How, how do you do it? What What's your kind of... Uh,
0: poorly, for sure. I, I feel like... Well, I still work a full-time job, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah which uh,
1: I, makes it even tougher.
0: Yeah, so my, my balance, especially being in a relationship, uh, is constantly fighting for time. And so the way it's working right now is luckily my process of putting these videos out is getting more and more streamlined. So I can save some time by honing. I can edit faster. I know what the thumbnails are going to look like. And I also just care less once it goes out because before i put it out there and I'd double check my text and i make sure it played back properly and I'd do all the things and it would take like four more hours. Now I'm just like, I hope it's not broken and I post it and I make sure that the podcast is out and the YouTube is out and then I just let it go. And then I work on the next thing and I, I spend no more cycles on it. Uh, but yeah, I think my um, my current my current scenario is much more manager I pretty much have my whole week mapped out and I'm always burdened by things. So I'm always trying to like claw out an extra hour to get more stuff done. But yeah. Yeah. So I'm working towards getting more to that like creative space where I can just kind of sit and think like, that's why, that's why I did that analogy. That's kind of like me taking a second to think and then just spit it out there. And that's like, that's almost my meditative
1: state for a little bit. Oh no, that's, I mean, that uh, explanations like that in kind of your own words and and kind of Taking something apart, trying to understand it, and then kind of restructuring or putting back together that ex- that explanation in kind of your own way, I think is super valuable. Both, it, it's something I do constantly to to kind of make sure I actually understand something. But I think it's also super valuable for for others as well. Um, you know, uh, like just in general, education on this space is still kind of a a, a crapshoot, um, and it's still really like the learning curve is is difficult to find and also pretty unforgiving to get into the space and understand what's going on and and start being able to have any sort of barometer for like finding the signal and the noise. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one of the big things there is a a lot of what, what I think we're tackling like the problem areas we're tackling in this space are really do kind of require a going back to first principles in terms of not just how you think about things, but actually understanding at a first principle levels, like what is money? Like what is a social contract? Um, How do those function in society? How do those mature? How do they change? Um, And with that, you know, I think uh providing your own versions of your aha moments is super helpful because everyone like there's something different that makes it click for for everyone um you know i I remember when i was at that stage too and it was you know it was kind of this incremental process of like just taking in a ton ton of information and and for me like finding like the little aha moments where i was like oh okay i think That, that I think I get that now. Mm -hmm. And then just trying to build those on top of one another, um, which, you know, it's still a process I'm very much doing today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's the whole thing of like, if you can't explain it to a six year old kind of thing, like if you feel yourself stuttering or using big words, you're probably, you're probably to like pause, you don't know it that well and and go back to the basics. Um, But I agree. I, I think the big thing we need right now, and maybe you can help me in real time think about this. We need more devs building on stacks. And Mm -hmm. I think that I think that people there's there's tooling coming out for clarity or education coming out for clarity with clarity universe and things like that. But I think people need to see comparisons almost, like how does ETH compare to clarity or how does building on Rust on Solana compare to clarity slash Rust on stacks, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh if if you were in your growth role again and that was your yeah. task what what would be like your first second things you would do cuz i'm going to do them
1: so i can i can mention a couple of things that are already in process and then and then we can maybe go go off on the brainstorming train but um so one of them you know i the current projects that are launching and will continue to kind of launch over the next year uh coming out of the accelerators first cohort you know that that train is Keeping on chugging. I think the accelerator right now is vetting through projects for the second cohort. Um, really excited to see what what kind of comes out of there given the the kind of strength of the first cohort. By the way,
0: um, I just talked to the first this morning I talked to TrueBit, which they're building like a user-owned data data mm-hmm. marketplace. I talked to those guys this morning and they're from the first cohort. So yeah. that's pretty cool.
1: No, there's really cool stuff, and like I think. You know those projects aren't just launching. They're they're as they launch, they're branching out into some really interesting things too. You know, I was just talking to the Alex team about their launch and how they're actually going to have a launch pad basically for other projects to launch in the Stacks ecosystem. I mean, you can think of it as kind of a Poker Starter style like launch pad almost um, when they go live. Um, and so you know, we were talking about that, um, and I was actually mentioning to them, you know with all the exciting stuff uh, that's been happening in the NFT space on Stacks. I was like, man, you guys should enable like NFT launch pad projects on top of this thing. Like that would be awesome. Meaning like of... you can
0: upload your No, so collective are, or? Are,
1: are you familiar with kind of how different launch pads work? Whether it's like- I guess AST not, no. Focus starter. So basically uh, in the NFT example, you know, right now um, people can kind of do an NFT drop where you, know, you can do some combination of things to get whitelisted and then you can, so this is kind of the same thing, but the Launchpad kind of creates a market mechanism around the launch where people can, uh, there's kind of a competitive element to uh, the project actually launching and people competing in various ways to actually get the initial kind of assets that are launching. If you look at Starter and, and kind of the projects that have launched on that, okay. it's, um, it, it's a way that, uh, like in a lot of ways, like IDO, initial DEX offerings have kind of gone through that route. I think with a fungible token, you know, that can be interesting. I think with NFTs, it's it's a lot more interesting in terms of like an auction mechanism for launching this versus just kind of dropping it into a bunch of people's wallets. And, and you can create... Some pretty fun like competitions and games around that, um, but yeah. Anyway, just to say like I'm I'm. Does this have corollaries?
0: Way, does this have corollaries to how product hunt kind of works or not? Nah?
1: Yeah, kind of actually. Okay. It, it, if uh, you know, product hunt, I think is more. It'd be like if uh, it's kind of a, a combo of product hunt and Kickstarter in okay. a way. Okay,
0: that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, but no, so lo- all of that's to basically say, like, I'm actually still really focused on all of the projects launching and to be launched from kind of the first cohort. But Trevor and team are already, you know, very much attention turned to kind of the next cohort and uh, a few uh, a few additional things that are going to be added to that or, or kind of in parallel to that. I don't know, maybe I'll get in trouble for for mentioning this because I don't know if it's Uh, I don't know if anyone's talked about it publicly yet, but like a great example also, I think of, you know, what, what I would do with the growth hat on what, what is happening, um, to go back to our discussion around the city coin stuff is actually creating an, an accelerator track for people building things around city coins. So, you know, I think like that's, you know, we're, we're seeing some of the more innovative stuff happening, you know, with, uh, with those tokens and and kind of you know uh, things that aren't even like that really like technical expansions of those projects yet like you know suara is trying to get people citizens of bitcoin dividend but now if you can actually incentivize developers like to our point about building out the utility and adding more value for miami coin like if you can incentivize developers and kind of open their eyes to like don't just think of building on stacks like are you in Miami? Like, is this your tech hub or is this a tech hub you're interested in? Like, you can actually build on top of this novel funding mechanism to, like, enable people to do different things with Miami coin. And, and I think creating a, incentives and kind of a, an, a funding pipeline to do that is is something really interesting that, that I hope happens. But, uh, <laughs> so, you know, that I think is one. Um, so... Yeah, all, all of those are ways of pushing that that uh, further development and more and more people building. I think the pulling side of it really comes down to what you were saying before in terms of education and tooling. Things have gotten a lot easier you know, over the last few months in terms of building with clarity, building on top of stacks. Um, obviously, that is going to naturally continue to some degree just as the more and more projects launch and the more that are built on top, the more existing examples and kind of primitives there are. But, you know, I do think it's also important to remember, like the network's not even a year old, which Mm. is pretty crazy to think about. Um, And with that, furthering the clarity education is kind of a big, big thing both in terms of just access to it and quality of it. And then, you know, two, I think is just building blocks, getting more and more building blocks for developers that are building on top of stacks already so that they can increasingly focus on the core product that they're actually building and not all of these, you know, ancillary things around it that, you know, they need to build the core product but are not the core product itself um you know this this is pretty relevant to it to to different degrees with every layer 1 chain that's out there obviously ecosystems like ethereum have a lot more maturity around this but even there there's you know uh, the space is kind of still filled with projects that are recreating the wheel and kind of duct taping a bunch of stuff together around their core product versus just you know a good example is, and this is just a natural process of, of kind of tech maturation, but, you know, if you're building a Web2 project these days, you can you can build a pretty complex, like, Web2 project without even being kind of a full engineer and, and like, fully coding yourself. Um, that's a good example of, like, how much that world has matured to allowing people to just focus on the actual... Product that they're bringing, and you know, finding product market fit for that product. Um, so I think you know, we we want to do the same thing in the stacks ecosystem. Part of that is just improving Clarity tooling, but part of it is you know things around that that have nothing to do with Clarity. You know, at Demon, we I think I mentioned this last time we talked. We're launching a data platform. The version one actually should come out in the next couple of days. Um, we'll do a blog post and and kind of Twitter blast with it, but. You know, the kind of initial goal there is pretty pretty simple, which is just to give everyone in the ecosystem a lot more transparency, not just into mining, but we'll have our own version of the Explorer and we'll also have support for different protocols there. So for instance, we'll have a bunch of dashboards for Arcadeco where you can see the different TVLs, the different ROIs for the vaults, you know, all, all kind of relevant data around that. But the more meaningful part there that we're kind of thinking about and looking to bring to market in, in in this vein of increasingly allowing teams to focus on the product they're building versus the enabling tech is kind of the backend API setups that we have. You know, we want to increasingly provide uh, teams who are building dApps on top of stacks with the infrastructure so that they don't have to worry about, you know, building their whole kind of data backend to pull the data they need on chain, to, you know, leverage that for whatever they need to leverage it for, they can increasingly just come and plug into our backend infrastructure to kind of do that. And, you know, we're just one of the people doing that. I think, you know, I I would imagine there's a a number of folks, um, you know, same thing, even for like just running stacks nodes, things like that. You know, I think the more plug and play those things become, the more it enables developers to focus on the core product they're building and not have to worry about all these, other things around that that are necessary but aren't really core to that. So, yeah, I mean, that I think is kind of the path forward. You know, to your point earlier, it's it's kind of this grinding, just kind of do things that don't scale type stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the focus for the next year, and, and I'm super excited for the next year personally. Um, this this well, this may be a little controversial, maybe maybe not. But like, I, I, I've i never seen, you know, I've been working on stacks for, God, it's almost 2022, which is kind of crazy to think about. But yeah, like four coming up on five years now, and I've never seen as big of a market opportunity for... Kind of alternative layer one networks, but specifically stacks, as I do kind of in the next year, especially because you know I, I think Ethereum's still going to continue to do very well in the market, but it, you know Ethereum's kind of shown the failure of that model. You know, d- putting off any discussion of the switch to ETH 2.0 and and whether or not I, I think there's any hope of that solving these issues. But you know, for the moment at least, like the Ethereum network is unusable for your average person um i mean one of the reasons that i think you know the biggest struggle of a lot of the nft and kind of gamify play to earn space on top of eth right now is um like one i think that stuff's awesome and it's super innovative and i'm really excited to see that start to come to stacks with projects like Moonray. one of the things that i think is is really stunting the maturation of of that innovation on ETH is just like it's impossible to do new user acquisition because, you know, the person that would be your average user cannot use the Ethereum network right now. I mean, when you're paying like two, three, potentially up to $500 in gas fees, like people need to think about this in terms of like the average person. Like, I send two transactions and it's like, I could do that, or I could buy myself like a PlayStation 5. Like, yeah,
0: when well, even like, trying to get to layer twos sometimes, like, I know exactly. To, I tried exactly. to use Polygon, and I there was like a me bits thing on oh, uh, it was a me bits thing on Arbitrum, and they're doing mm-hmm. a specific launch on Arbitrum. And I was like, okay, cool, I guess I'll try it. People are talking about it. I'm early, so I can get on the yeah. whitelist. And it cost me, I, I, I bought 50 bucks, and it cost me almost my whole thing just to potentially get it to Arbitrum. So I'm like, <laughs> This is going back on Coinbase. I'm just going to... Yeah,
1: so I mean, you know, I, I think I, I'm, I'm not going to get into a discussion of kind of the, the longer term prospects for Ethereum. But I think in the immediate, you know, it, immediately right now, Ethereum has kind of failed in terms of like, it hasn't failed as a network. It's not going to die. I'm not necessarily saying that. But I think well, I, I will in say- this moment, it's it's failed at being the technical provider for the innovation that's happening and allowing that to progress to the next stage. So I'm talking a very zoomed in in the moment failure, you know. But it has, uh, like, you can do a post mortem on this in terms of like, you know, why it's gotten to the space, and I think that opens up a huge possibility for you know obviously you've seen networks like solana and avalanche capitalize on that opportunity just with their narrative let alone you know the 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 tech they're they're bringing but you know the thing is i think stacks one like is on par with solana if not maybe a little bit more ahead in terms of the technical maturation now i think they have a little more momentum and and hype in terms of public perception which i'm not discounting at all that that is that matters a ton in the short term, like a, a, an absolute ton. And I think you've seen that play out for them over the past year. But I think as we, you know, move forward into, you know, 2022 and beyond, like those networks too are going to come up against, you know, as they continue to be more and more successful and tr- attract more and more people to build on top of them, you know, they're each going to go through their challenges of scalability and, um, As you know, as is stacks to some degree, but the thing where I'm really excited is, you know, I think we know where where we go when those challenges kind of present themselves. I think the the opportunity in the market and public perception and and momentum for stacks in you know throughout the next year, regardless of what the broader market does, is just it, yeah, it's absolutely massive.
0: I'm picking up small data points around the ecosystem that make me feel like I have a cheat code almost like being in stacks right now is like ridiculously good opportunity. And it's things like Muneeb will say, we have no goals. that are not 10 years out, like long, like long-term vision. And then you talk to you and you're talking about it's turtles all the way down, meaning, you know, it's, everything is, everything is stacked on top of each other. And that means you have to be very cognizant of how you build the one and the two and the three and the four. And what's interesting is that I think that ETH is actually, the people I'm seeing are, are acknowledging that reality, which is that they're saying that ETH is the L1 of all blockchains, almost like they're the interoperability layer. And then you just build up from Ethereum, but it doesn't go low enough because you need Bitcoin as your base. If you're gonna yeah. go, if you're gonna go to that thesis, or you just use something like yeah, Cosmos,
1: exactly. If you're gonna go to that thesis, it's kind of you know what you you then need to kind of hyperanalyze the purpose and job to be done by the base, and you know that, that that's a much longer discussion we can maybe get into next time in terms for of... for sure. But I think I, I that, hear that and yeah. I'm like,
0: okay, I like that. The fact that they're thinking that and Sachs is already doing that, like we're good. You know, like it's yeah,
1: okay. yeah. And I mean, you know, we've always said. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, uh, and it's been, you know, obviously the the markets hit some choppy waters in in the last week. Um, but you know, it's the the thing I love about being in the stacks ecosystem is, you know, we're we're kind of that like the ecosystem. Obviously, there's a lot of new people, but you know, so much of the ecosystem is kind of filled with these. I, I would almost call them like old war dogs who like you know stuff starts blowing up all all around us and we're just you know sitting there just <laughs> yeah vets like, oh, we're here again cool <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like yeah. you know I I don't know how many people know but like you know Stacks has been working at this since like 2013 the kind of path to where the 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 ecosystem we have today the community all of that has been you know. Uh, kind of non-traditional compared to a lot of companies uh, or a lot of projects in the space. You know, I think it started just as this idea for like a naming decentralized DNS kind of service built on top of, you know, originally this, this layer one called Namecoin, then very soon after that, I think in 2014, you know, migrated to Bitcoin you know, kind of refining that idea through Y Combinator as really just a technical R&D project, like in 2015, um, raising, you know, a small series A to kind of, or a seed round and then then A to kind of try to validate that use case and kind of product. And then, you know, when I came in in 2017 was when the very first version of the network was about to go live, which just enabled uh, decentralized naming and data storage. On top of Bitcoin, but almost with Bitcoin itself, like Bitcoin being kind of the native asset, which was very limiting. Um, but you know, it worked as a layer one network, and and I think it created a one of the first broader ecosystems of DApps. You know, by the time we we had dug into that for bringing that to market for the first couple of years, um, but you know, uh, today with with the tech and the network that we have the ecosystem and the community that exists and that's kind of building around it. I I think that lineage is really important in terms of creating this view of um, it's really a marathon, not a sprint. And we're so early in this. And, you know, I think tactically it can be okay to in the moment chase things like uh, hype and momentum and, and things like that. But I think we kind of have a deep understanding that strategically, which, you know, difference between strategy and tactics, you know, tactics, I think of uh, more like in the moment tools that can help you reach different longer term strategic goals, is a little more overarching and, you know, longer term, what's my North Star? What, what are we really aiming at, you know, three, five, 10 years down the line? Um, You know, strategically, I think we have continued to build a good muscle as an ecosystem for taking that long view and, you know, kind of recognizing again, like, I'm super excited for the market opportunity for Stacks over the next year. But I think, you know, I I say that with a view to like really the next three to five years and how I think that's really on more of a macro level, our opportunity. No, that's Um, good.
0: Uh, I guess we'll just call it there. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna test my audience, see how active they are. So if you guys want a Twitter Spaces weekly from me and Zan, um, yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Say when Twitter Spaces, and we will do yeah. it. So yeah, I
1: like it. Send send a tweet out with that too, and I'll I'll retweet it. We'll see if there's any interest. I think we can we can kind of structure it to begin with, just as like a casual chat about current current kind of events in the Stacks ecosystem, things we're excited about. Yep. Um, you know, maybe in the broader space as well, can, can make it collaborative to open it up to other folks coming in, talking, asking questions, and then, you know, can can bring some other folks into, um, you know, if, if if there is demand for this, I think we can bring some folks in, not just from within the Stacks ecosystem, but potentially from outside of it. Well, you know, I'm cl- I'm close mm-hmm. to some of the core Solana guys. Some of the the guys creating some of the newer GameFi projects and guilds around those. So okay. yeah, I think yeah, I think we could branch it out to some interesting places. But um,
0: I love yeah. the idea. Okay, cool. Well, I'll let you get on your call, my friend. Uh, hey. Talk to you soon.
1: Fun as thank, always. Thank you, buddy. Thank you.
0: Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know the things don't always go your way. Eh. I'll be right, here Waiting. I've been waiting now. I've been trying to figure out a way to make it out. Make it out, cause I don't think
1: about everything going wrong.